When we speak the truth, it can land us in a lot of trouble. When we call sin what it is, when we say what is wrong is wrong, it can cause us problems in this world. Over the last few weeks, uh, Channel Dean has been going through a series called Forerunner. We've looked at a few of the highlights of John the Baptist's life. We have found him to be a pretty cool dude, even though he's a hippie that lives in the desert. But today, well, today things aren't going so well for our friend John the Baptist. Today, rather than studying his life, we are going to be studying his death. Today, John meets a sticky end. We can find that in Matthew 14, verses 1 to 12. When Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, heard about Jesus, he said to his advisers, This must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That is why he can do such miracles. For Herod had arrested and imprisoned John as a favour to his wife, Herodias, the former wife of Herod's brother Philip. John had been telling Herod, It is against God's law for you to marry her. Herod had wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of a riot because all the people believed John was a prophet. But at a birthday party for Herod, Herodias' daughter performed a dance that greatly pleased him, so he promised with a vow to give her anything she wanted. At her mother's urging, the girl said, I want the head of John the Baptist on a tray. Then the king regretted what he had said, but because of the vow he had made in front of his guests, he issued the necessary orders. So John was beheaded in prison, and his head was brought in a tray and given to the girl, who took it to her mother. Later, John's disciples came for his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus what had happened. I think deep down, we all believe the same thing. We all think our families are really, really weird. Over the years, I've been to a few houses for dinner. Um, a lot of people have invited me around. And at loads of those houses, I've seen the same sign over and over and over again. And it says something like this. Remember, as far as anyone knows, we are a nice, normal family. The person who created that sign must have made a lot of money because it is everywhere. But let me tell you a secret. A secret that can actually be easily seen just by visiting all these families. Everyone's family is cuckoo. You might come to church um, and you might see a nice normal family sitting next to you and then you might look at your own family, look at your kids and see that one of them has taken a watsit and stuck it up his nose. In that situation doesn't the grass look just a little bit greener on the other side? Then you wish you had their lives? Well let me tell you the grass isn't greener because what you fail to notice is that their grandmother has sn snuck off about half an hour ago and is now raiding the biscuit table for everything they can get. All families are weird. There are no exceptions. And everyone is a little bit weird. So if you don't think your family is weird, it's because you're the weird one in it. But Herod's family, which we read about, read about its dramatic existence in that passage, that's really weird. That's another level weird. They are messed up. Herod had imprisoned the local prophet, not because the local prophet had done anything wrong, but as a favour to his wife. Why? Why was his wife so desperate for this prophet to end up in trouble? Well, Herod's wife was Herodias, who had previously been married to Herod's brother Philip, and Herod had his own wife, 
uh, they had got divorced, it had been a big scandal, and they had got together. So Herodias had ended up with Herod, having both ditched their first husbands. Herodias' husband was Philip. It, it's, all, it's all chaos. And more importantly, it broke some really important Jewish laws. If you look at Leviticus 18.16, you will read what essentially is a law saying, don't, whatever you do, steal your brother's wife. And what did Herod do? He stole his brother's wife. It's not all the weird stuff. There's a few extra things. There's this really strange dance that Herodias' daughter does for Herod. Um, frankly, the less said about that, the better. But John, John the Baptist, the prophet who had been reading about, he saw what Herod was doing. He saw that Herod was acting inappropriate. And he called him out on it. He said, it is against God's law for you to marry her. And John was right. John was just talking about Leviticus 18, verse 16. John told the truth. In the Old Testament, prophets would routinely challenge leaders. They would challenge society. And they would speak God's word to them. They would let them know when God was displeased and what God wanted. John, when he, when he calls Herod out, he's just doing what prophets tend to do. But in this case, he died because of it. He was thrown in jail. He was murdered. His head ended up on a tray at a birthday party. The whole thing has ended in tragedy. A great prophet has been killed. In fact, he's not just been killed. A great prophet has been humiliated. This passage alerts us to something that we need to be aware of. If we stand by God's commandments, if we stick by them, if we call sin, sin, if we point out wrong, if we do what John did, people aren't always going to like that. The world isn't always going to like that. Maybe our head may not end up on a plate, but maybe other bad things will happen instead. This is actually a, a pattern that is not just limited to biblical times. It happens in modern times as well. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, he was among a, a group of, of black Christian leaders who called out Western civilization on, on a sin that is ingrained deeply in it, even to this day. He called us out on racism. When white Christian leaders did nothing, King pointed to sin and he said, that's not okay. We've got to do something about that. He pointed to a mindset that, that came from slavery, that came from a past of oppression and permeated through to the, to, the, the, to the day when he was preaching back in the 60s and even to now, that permeated through society and government. And he said, look, this isn't okay. And what happened? He was killed for it, just like John the Baptist. He was shot dead on April 4th, 1968. If you speak the truth, if you say what is right, sometimes that will hurt. But you know something? The truth may hurt. It may hurt you if you say it. But the truth is worth it. You see, when John spoke out, he suffered. 
And that makes us ask the question, why did John say anything at all? What was the point? Why did Martin Luther King Jr. stand up and say the stuff that he did? You know, they probably wouldn't have died if they'd just kept the trap shut. I mean, John was a prophet with a, with a big following. He was popular. He had crowds following him. Things were going success, successfully for him, and he wasn't even challenging Herod. You know, he didn't need to challenge Herod to be popular. He already had it. He had a successful ministry. He had clout, and he had a fair amount to lose. Herod, meanwhile, had military power. He had the ability to decide who lived and who died. If I was John, I would have taken one look at Herod and I would have thought, that's a guy I'm going to stay on the good side of. I don't want to annoy that guy. I would not risk my ministry. I would not risk my life work to challenge them. And John just wasn't, wasn't just a preacher. He wasn't an ordinary guy who was going around preaching at, at local synagogues or to crowds. He, he was a prophet. He was someone who was sent there to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. John the Baptist was an important guy. If I was him, I wouldn't have risked it. And it wasn't worth challenging Herod on who he married. I would have kept my mouth shut. And sure enough, when John did speak, he got in trouble. He pointed out God's law, and Herodias made sure that he was executed because of it. Did John achieve anything? Yes. He achieved his head being put on a platter. The whole thing looks pointless. It looks like John has made a massive miscalculation. He has screwed up. And now he's dead. He spoke out at the wrong time and ugh, things didn't work out for John. He's wasted all his ministry. That makes sense until you read Revelation at 21 to 6. Until you put all of this into a bit of context of what the Bible says is going to happen at the end of human history. Revelation 21 to 6 recounts a vision. Let me read it for you now. Revelation 20. Verses 1 to 6. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, that old serpent, who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked so Satan could not deceive the nations any more until the thousand years were finished. Afterward, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and the people sitting on them have been given the authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who have been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus, and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his statue, nor accepting his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They all came to life again, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them the second death holds no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. In that passage, we have a vision that describes the future. It is a vision that is full of symbols, it's full of ideas. Ideas that are not meant to be taken literally, but they're meant to be seen figuratively, describing future events. 
We have wonderful stuff in there, dramatic stuff, awesome stuff. In fact, it's, all, it's so wonderful, it's so awesome, and it's so dramatic. But I think if we had a literal description of what these things would look like, our heads would probably explode. But one thing is pretty clear from that vision. Um, those who died for their faith, those who died because they proclaimed the word of God, they are held in pretty high esteem. It says, those who have been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God, those guys are given pride of place. It says they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. John, who died because he held Herod accountable to God's law, surely, surely must be in that number. It seems that John has actually not made a miscalculation. All he has done is he's chosen his side. He has chosen the side of God, of God's word, and it's paid off. When we stand up for what we believe in, it can seem like a monumentally bad decision. We might lose friends, we might lose our job, uh, we might face a barrage of hate online. Uh, in this country, we're actually pretty fortunate. In other countries, we can be prosecuted. In other countries, we might even be executed. So from a human perspective, a purely human perspective, preaching the word, teaching the word, sticking by its ideals, telling people the gospel and all its moral implications, that's a really stupid idea. We should avoid it because it makes no sense. But that is only the case if we forget how things end, if we forget that vision of the last days. It only makes sense if we forget that God wins. Because the disasters that can come upon us when we stick by what is right and when we call sin, sin, those disasters, they pale into insignificance compared to the glories that will exist on the last days. John, John spoke up. It cost him his life. But as his disciples went and reported for duty with Jesus, John went to heaven and he reported to, for duty there. And when Jesus returns, when we see Jesus again, I am certain that we will see John standing by his side. So speaking the truth can hurt, but speaking the truth is worth it. And you know what? Speaking the truth is something that is needed right now. And in light of that, I think we should watch some Toy Story. In particular, I think we should watch Toy Story 2. So in this movie, Woody, who is a toy cowboy, has been stolen by a toy collector. He is the prized piece in, in a, uh, a toy collection that is worth a lot of money. And he's about to be shipped overseas, taken from the US to be displayed uh, in Tokyo in a museum. Initially he resists and he wants to go back to Andy, the kid who owns him. But eventually he comes round and he's persuaded by the other toys in this collection but really he should be with them. He should be in this complete uh, collection and should go to Tokyo. But his friends, who are owned by Andy, not knowing he's made this decision, come to his rescue. When they find out what he's decided, when they find out that he actually wants to go to Tokyo, Buzz challenges him and calls him out. This is what happens. Buzz! I had a feeling it was you, Buzz. My front end just had to catch it with my back end. <laughs> Will somebody please explain what's going on? It's all right, Space Ranger. It's a code 546. <gasps> you mean it's a... Yes. 
And he's a... Oh, yeah. <gasps> your Majesty. <laughs> what are you in danger here? We need to leave now. Al's selling you to a toy museum in Japan! I know. It's okay, Buzz. I actually want to go. What? Are you crazy? Look, the thing is, I'm a rare Sheriff Woody doll, and these guys are my Roundup gang. Woody, what are you talking about? What am I talking about? Woody's Roundup! Oh, it's this great old TV show, and I was the star. See, now look, look, look at me. See, that's me. This is weirding me out. Buzz, it was a national phenomenon. And there was all this merchandise that just got packed up. Oh, you should have seen it. There was a record player and a yo-yo. Buzz, I was a yo-yo. Was. Woody, stop this nonsense and let's go. Ah, Buzz. I can't go. I can't abandon these guys. They need me to get into this museum. Without me, they'll go back into storage. Maybe forever. Woody, you're not a collector's item. You're a child's plaything. You are a toy! For how much longer? One more rip and Eddie's done with me. And what do I do then, Buzz, huh? You tell me. Somewhere in that pad of stuffing is a toy who taught me that life's only worth living if you're being loved by a kid. And I traveled all this way to rescue that toy because I believed him. Well, you wasted your time. Let's go, everyone. What about Woody? He's not coming with us. But, but Andy's coming home tonight. Then we'd better make sure we're there waiting for him. I don't have a choice, Buzz. This is my only chance. To do what, Woody? Watch kids from behind glass and never be loved again? Some life. Moments after that clip, Woody realises something. He realises that, you know what? Buzz is right. The true purpose of a toy is not to be locked in some museum. The true purpose of a toy is to be played with. Buzz has confronted Woody with the truth, and Woody realises he's wrong. He's realised he's abandoning the essence of what it means to be a toy. In, so in some ways, Buzz Lightyear has lived out some of the things that we... I've talked about today. Like John, he challenged someone with the truth. Like John, he was rejected. Now, Buzz was only initially rejected. A few minutes later, Woody does come to his senses. Whereas with John, he stays rejected. His head ends up being cut off by the local tyrant. But today, we need to do the same sort of thing that Buzz was doing, the same sort of thing that John was doing. We need to speak the truth. And we need to speak the truth in full knowledge that we might be rejected. Like John, we need to, to cling to God's word. We need to cling to the things that it teaches in full knowledge that doing that could cause us to lose everything. This is not a, a license to be an idiot about it. We need to speak the truth, but we cannot do that 
and also forget what the Bible teaches about love, about what it teaches about being gentle, what it teaches about being kind. We cannot forget how Jesus treated people who were sinners. We cannot forget how Jesus treated the broken. But as we remember those teachings, as we remember what the Bible teaches about those things, we have to remember what the Bible teaches about other stuff as well. We need to know the truth. And we need to know it and be willing to get hurt for speaking it. And there are many situations that things the Bible teaches will get us in trouble. There are many situations in this world where the Bible teaches things that are controversial, that are not accepted by this world, yet the world still needs to hear it because it's the truth. One of the examples uh, that's big today is, is in marriage. In Matthew 19, 4-6, we read, Haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied, They record that from the beginning God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. The Bible teaches a controversial view that marriage consists of a union between one man and one woman for life. This is a pattern that goes back to the beginning of creation and is the only place where an intimate relationship is permissible. That is not a popular teaching. If you hold that view, people around you will get hurt. If you hold that view, you will end up in trouble. Yet, it is what God teaches. It is the truth. Take economic injustices. They can also be controversial. If you speak up about those, you can get in trouble. Listen to what it says in Micah 2, 1-3. In Micah 2, 1-3, it says, What sorrow awaits you who lie awake at night, thinking up evil plans. You rise at dawn and hurry to carry them out, simply because you have the power to do so. When you want a piece of land, you find a way to seize it. When you want someone's house, you take it by fraud and violence. You cheat a man of his property, stealing his family's inheritance. But this is what the Lord says. I will reward your evil with evil. You won't be able to pull your neck out of the noose. You will no longer walk around proudly, for it will be a terrible time. That, that is what the Bible says to people who are not fair and honest in their work. The Bible wants us to be fair. The Bible wants us to be honest when we're dealing with things in our job, in our finances, in our day-to-day. -day. And it even says that God sides with those who are unfairly treated. But you know what? There are many companies in this country and abroad which do not treat people in a fair and honest way. There are companies that we will go to work for tomorrow who aren't treating people with dignity, who aren't being fair with people. What would it cost in our work, in those places, for us to stand up, to challenge people on corruption and how they're hurting people? It would cost a lot, wouldn't it? Yet it is the truth. These are the things that God teaches us. 
What about the reality of sin and forgiveness? In John 3, 16 to 18a, we read this. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. The Bible tells us that we are all sinners. But it tells us that we all have access to the gift of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. We all have hope. Therefore, Christians can shake hands with people the world will not shake hands with. We can shake hands with sinners, knowing there is hope for them. We can shake hands with them, because there is hope for us. We can embrace prisoners. We can embrace disgraced celebrities. We can embrace drug addicts. We can embrace murderers. We can embrace paedophiles, because if there is hope for us, if there is hope of forgiveness for us, then there is hope of forgiveness for them. There is redemption for them. What would it cost to proclaim forgiveness, to offer forgiveness to those sorts of people? The world does not want them. The world does not value them. The world sees those sorts of people as worthless, as people to be cast out. Yet the Christian message is one of hope and redemption and forgiveness. We must offer our hand to them. In each of these areas, and in many more, there is a great biblical truth that needs to be proclaimed to the world. But, if we proclaim it, we might face harm. Like John the Baptist, if we say what is right, if we say what is good, if we say what is holy, then we might end up in a lot of trouble. You know what? Let's do it anyway. <laughs>